2020. Uh, Easter during this coronavirus pandemic, this separation of, um, like kind of the separation from our normal rhythm and our normal routine, uh, it, uh, it is certainly a interesting time that we're living in. And if you caught any of my, uh, if you caught any of the pre-service uh, coffee talk, uh, you'll know that I was talking about the little things that we can, that, that God is plucking out of this to redeem and bring meaning to. And trust that you're finding those, those things and those, those experiences as well, the things that God is redeeming and uh, changing in you because of this experience. Um, but here we are in Easter. And we have been building up to this moment here for a few services last week uh, here at this time. We talked about the triumphal entry, right? The, the time when Jesus was marching into the city of Jerusalem. A king coming into his capital city and then was crucified on Good Friday, on Friday of that week. Um, and there's this interesting kind of progression between Friday, where we experience things like darkness and sorrow and anguish, maybe a little bit of disbelief, or denial at what is happening. And then Friday is over, and Saturday comes, right? And Saturday is this time or this period of waiting, this time of silence. It's like God is not here, or God is not speaking, or I'm confused, like Jesus is in the tomb, um, almost despairing as well. But then Sunday comes today, and we are, the world is greeted with a sunrise and sunlight, and everything seems to be refreshed, and life is made new. And so the natural progression of going from Thursday, last, um, last Sunday, the triumphal entry, to Friday's crucifixion, to Saturday's waiting and silence, to Sunday's new life in Jesus. Now, there are, are many times where um, I, I like to preach and kind of like hold back the main message and like build up to it. There's no holding back the main message um, lately. Like I want you to know right from the outset what we're all about and what we are, you know, doing here. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the first Corinthians, or in his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, a familiar, a familiar verse to maybe some of you, maybe um, to others not so familiar, but he says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, then what I do here in this moment, thank you, what I do here in this moment, all of our faith is useless. It makes no difference whatsoever. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, 
if, the to- if we woke up on Sunday morning and the tomb was not empty, then, then the rest of our faith, every little bit of faith that we can muster in the God of all creation or in the scripture or in Jesus himself is useless. And so, as we talked about on Good Friday, we'll talk about again here this morning on Easter Sunday. There are, it's a, a, a popular distinction uh, right now, essentials and non-essentials, right? Are you an essential worker or are you a non-essential worker? Do you have an essential business or a non-essential business? And when it comes to um, essentials and non-essentials, of the Christian faith. What we celebrated on Good Friday and that, that, that main point that Jesus gave his life, that your sins could be forgiven and that you could be reconciled to God. And then this morning, the essential um, pillar of faith that if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Man, if there are two essentials that we going to build the rest of the structure of our faith off of. It's those two. And so coming here this morning and celebrating what has been done on, um, on this Sunday, celebrating what, what God did in Jesus, in raising Him from the dead, in conquering the grave, in defeating death, arresting death so that our lives may begin that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, we're going to be um, in a few different places, but mainly in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to the Gospel of John. And we're going to start in verse or in chapter 20 of John's Gospel, right there at the empty tomb. Chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. 
At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned away, or she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. There were a couple of different instances in Mary's experience that morning at the empty tomb where she expressed her belief in why the tomb was empty. That she that she kind of let out what her heart believed was the ultimate truth for why she went to the tomb that morning and found it to be empty. Places like verse 2 and verse 13, we see that she, uh, in verse 2, she, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said this, Why was the tomb empty? Well, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. In the second part of verse 13, she says the, basically the same thing when she asked the angels, or the angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? Mary says, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. What was Mary's explanation for why the tomb was empty on that morning when she went to visit? Jesus' gravesite. Her, her explanation um, is, is kind of betrayed by, or what her heart believes was kind of betrayed by what she said, both to the disciples and to the angels. Someone, some ones must have come and taken Jesus' body. They've taken him. I don't know where they've put him, but someone has come scooped him up apparently and taken him away now this fits with what we would generally believe or is a general understanding of why mary would even come to the tomb on that morning a tomb with a large stone rolled in front of it her by herself likely not able to remove the stone knowing what uh Pontius Pilate had done in setting Roman guards to guard the tomb so that no one could steal the body of Jesus. But Mary, why did Mary come to the tomb? Well, for the same reason maybe that you and I visit, the, uh, visit cemeteries or gravestones. Maybe to feel close to those that we've lost. Maybe to mourn our loss in some way, shape, or form. Maybe to 
process the grief, the disbelief, the denial, the pain that we're experiencing. There, were, there, there are many reasons maybe that Mary was at the tomb that morning. But what we do know is that her explanation for why it was empty was that someone has stolen Jesus. Someone had taken him from the tomb and placed him somewhere else. See, Mary, in verses 13 and 14, the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. She said, I don't know where they've put him. She was so consumed in what appears to have been salt poured in this wound of hers that Jesus was gone that she was unable to even recognize that Jesus was standing right there next to her. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. So, so consumed by the experience of seeing the tomb emptied and the pain that that had caused her, that she was unable to see that Jesus was standing there right with her. Now what is, remains interesting to me is that all four gospel writers have several accounts within, scripture, within their gospel accounts, within their stories of Jesus' life of Jesus consistently reminding and telling his followers, his disciples, exactly what would happen. That he would be betrayed, that he would be arrested, that he would be falsely accused, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, that he would die, and then he would come back to life. And so, and so if you're like, hitting the timeline, and if they were paying attention to what Jesus was saying, like, and believing what he was saying, then it stands to reason they would have been like, hey, guys, listen, everything that Jesus said was going to happen is actually happening. So the next step, obviously, is that he's going to be resurrected. And so, hey, when the tomb is empty, maybe we shouldn't be so shocked. But still, it seems... That all of them, that, that, that we don't have really an account of any disciple, any follower of Jesus who was like, no, 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 guys, guys, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Jesus said this was going to happen, remember? Jesus said, this is what will happen to me. Everything else that he said would happen has happened. And so it stands to reason, I have faith to believe that when the tomb is empty, it's not because someone has stolen his body. It's because what he said was going to happen actually happened. But still it seems that they, all of them really were convinced that this calamity of the empty tomb could only have one outcome. That, that, this, that this calamity of Jesus' death could only have one outcome. We're never going to be the same. And not in a good way, right? Things are never going to go back to normal. In fact, I'm so afraid for my own life, I'm going to hide. 
There's only one possible explanation for the tomb being empty. Someone must have stolen the body. And so they scattered, they ran, they hid. They had no memory of the promise of Jesus, the promise of Jesus' resurrection. It's uh, interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, I don't know, uh, seen a meme on Facebook or something about it, or heard a pastor say it online, or been reminded of it yourself in your own reading of Scripture this week or throughout this period. It's interesting, I think, that at least for all practical intents and purposes, this Easter for us today, the way we're celebrating today, right? this Easter for us, and that Easter for the followers of Jesus, um, we're not so dissimilar. <laughs> Actually, they're probably um, more alike than any other Easter that we've experienced in the past. See, the disciples of Jesus on the first Easter were not gathering in celebration with their friends, right? Having a big meal. Celebrating the return of their king, the resurrection of the Savior. Experiencing the joy and fruitfulness that was coming with the secured promise of Jesus to come back to the, come back from the grave. They were alone. They were in their homes. They were wondering what really has come of this life that we're living? I've had so many people say the same thing to me. I've said it in the last four or five weeks. What is this life? What is this thing that we're going through? This calamity. This, there, there can only be one, like, there can only be one explanation for it there can really only be one thing to believe about this we're ne- this is never going to be the same right i'm going to just hide away in fear and anxiety there's only one possible explanation for all of this the experience of the disciples on that first easter sunday morning and the experience that we are having this morning may not be so dissimilar after all. So maybe while you and I are here this morning and for the last five weeks or so scratching our heads asking how did we get here? How did we get to where we are now, bemoaning maybe the irregularity of the day that we're experiencing now, how different it is than how we always celebrate. Maybe you and I could take the opportunity to, to, to seize a little opportunity to look past the supposed calamity of the moment and instead remember the promise. Instead, maybe, maybe be reminded of the words of Jesus. Be reminded of the promise of Jesus. Be reminded of the, the, um, the teaching of Jesus. 
John chapter 16, Jesus, before Jesus' arrest, he um, was going into prayer, teaching his disciples about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit of God whom he would send. And he was teaching the disciples, reminding the disciples once more that they will experience grief, but like a, like a mother who in the pains of childbirth must, must labor and deliver her child in, in pain, in distress, but that once the child is born for, I don't know, they, they call it, uh, they say that, that moms have horrible, am- they, they've got horrible amnesia, right? Because in the midst of delivery, they want nothing to do with this ever again. But then when they hold the baby in their arms, it's like we have forgotten all of what we have went through. Give me more, give me more, give me more, right? And Jesus used that analogy to try to teach the disciples that um, you will grieve my death. But listen, take heart because your grief at the pain will turn in to your joy at the victory. And he tells his disciples um, in chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, this is interesting that he says this to you. He says, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. Sounds familiar, right? You leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And in verse 33, he says this. Maybe, let me remind you one more time before I read this. Instead of sitting in the calamity of what, or in the reality of what seems like a calamity. This is never, things are never going to change again. Life is never going to be the same again. Must be full of anxiety and fear. There's only one possible explanation for this, right? Seize the opportunity to remember not the grief of the calamity, but the promise of Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world we will have trouble. In this life we will have trouble. We will have pandemics. We will have pain. We will have loneliness and fear. We will have stress and sickness. We will have brokenness in our relationships. We will have mental illness. We will have addiction. We will have 
loss. But take heart. Jesus has overcome everything that is so real about this world and sets us on a new path for life. Here are the the essential message this morning. If you remember the when you remember from what we read in John chapter 20, what Mary was experiencing, right? When she had only one explanation for why things were the way that they were. And it was like salt in her wound of grief. Grieving over the loss of Jesus, now his body was no longer in the tomb. And the only explanation that she had in that moment, in her soul, on the tip of her tongue was that someone must have come and taken his body from the grave. And so consumed in what she thought was the permanence of the calamity of the empty tomb that she failed to see Jesus standing right there with her. And I wonder if you and I me, you, people that you know around you, if, if, we have, if we have allowed this thing, this current calamity, or maybe the calamity of your life before this, maybe the, the consequences of your decisions, or maybe the consequences of other people's decisions as they have fallen upon you, Maybe your own brokenness. Maybe your own loneliness, anxiety, or fear. Maybe your own searching for answers. Maybe your own desperation about the path of your life. Maybe your own fear about what comes in the future. Maybe your own confusion and questions about what comes next in life. Not every... Not every calamity is defined by the one that we're in right now sometimes it's defined by the one that you've been living for years and maybe you've been living in a calamity for years for a lifetime with only one possible explanation and it has nothing to do with the promise of jesus in your life right Maybe you have your own explanation, they have stolen the body. You have your own, they have stolen Jesus' body explanation for what you've been going through. But even in the midst of your explanation, right? Even in the midst of the only thing that you can seem to come up with for why you are experiencing what you are experiencing has nothing to do with the promise of Jesus. And I wonder if, like in Mary's situation here, if we just stopped for a moment, even for a brief moment, if we could hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us through our pain, speaking to us through our grief, Because what 
was the thing that snapped Mary out of her pain and grief and her insistence that calamity was upon her. It wasn't the presence of Jesus even. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Come on, Mary. Thinking he was the gardener, she said again, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. I think Jesus maybe at this moment (laughs) had had enough. And so to snap Mary out of what she was experiencing in that moment, he simply called her by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. Something about the voice of Jesus as he says our name that snaps us back into the reality of his promise that what looks like calamity to the world is new life in him. He was there, standing right before her, not stolen, not a ghost, not dead, but fully and 100% alive. There is um, a lot of ways to look at this Easter story. There are a lot of little individual miracles that we can describe I wonder if you have considered what the real miracle of Easter is. What the real miracle that we celebrate on mornings like this is. You see, I don't know. Um, I think we could make a super good case, right? That the real miracle of Easter is that Jesus came back to life. But miracles seem a little surprising, right? Like there's something that, that happened unexpectedly without, without explanation or without cause. And I don't know, how many times did Jesus say, I'm going to come back to life. How many people did Jesus resurrect from the dead in his ministry? How many people did Jesus heal? How many miracles did, did Jesus do right? While he, like during his earthly ministry? I wonder if the miracle of Jesus coming back to life is not all that surprising at all, right? Like maybe we would, maybe we should expect that the miracle of him coming back to life, albeit a miracle, 
is maybe not even the most significant on this morning. Certainly there is a miracle present. Jesus' victory over death. Jesus defeating the grave. Jesus' reversal of what seemed like an absolute calamity of death and destruction and despair for all those that followed him into life. But I wonder this morning if the greatest miracle to come out of Easter is not that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but that Jesus offers us resurrection. Is it so surprising that the God of all the universe could defeat death, defeat the grave, conquer over evil and sin? I don't know, it doesn't seem that surprising to me. Is it that surprising that the same victory over death that the same victory over the grave, that the same victory over sin that Jesus Christ himself experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, which resurrects him from the dead, can be offered to me? Me? That is a miracle. That is a miracle beyond miracles, beyond miracles, beyond miracles. That we can stand here this morning and proclaim that the same resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the grave can resurrect your life. Can bring you back from the grave. Jesus was clear about this in his life and ministry. Places like John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Places like John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. It was not that, hey guys, I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and I'm going to live forever. But hey look, I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and the same resurrection that I experience, you can experience as well. That, that, I will not, that I will not leave you in the throes of death. I will not leave you in the throes of despair. I will not leave you in the throes of calamity and desperation and fear. But the same victory that I have had over the grave, the same victory that I have had over death, I will give it to you as well. Paul, the Apostle Paul, does a great job at helping um, Christians come to an understanding of the deeply rooted, underlying, like spiritual, I'll say spiritual, theological, biblical principle here that the resurrection of Jesus 
can be our resurrection as well. One, one place in particular is Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. And I want to read those to you because I want you to understand here that the resurrection of Jesus is not just a happy Bible story that we talk about on Easter Sunday. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the precursor to your own resurrection. It is the, it is the, it is the deposit of guaranteeing your own new life. Uh, Paul says this to the Romans, starting in verse 4. We were therefore, he's talk, speaking of Christians, right? Those who express faith in Jesus Christ, right? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Picture the imagery of baptism, right? When we take someone who is professing faith in Jesus Christ and we dip them back under the water, right? I want you, want you to, to, to understand that the, that the tradition and history of the Christian church is intentional in this manner, right? That, that the physical act of baptism is, is symbolic in many ways, right? But symbolic... In, in this fashion, that when we go, that when the pastor lowers us down into the water, it is as if we are being lowered into the grave. That we are being put to death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may to live a new life. Just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we come up out of the water, right? We are put to death in baptism. We are raised to, to new life in Christ in the water of baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, you, me, all of us may live a new life. He doesn't leave it there. He goes on to continue to communicate in verse 5 through 7. If we have been united with Jesus like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin within us might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. One of the greatest miracles of Easter is that, 
is that the resurrection, that we are united with G- by faith in Jesus Christ with his resurrection. That you, that, that I, that, that all of us by expressing faith in Jesus Christ, by, by putting to death the body of sin within us, by expressing our faith in the sanctifying, justifying work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the water of baptism, we are raised to new life. I want to be really, really, really clear about something, okay? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a seed of promise that has been planted in the soil of your heart. Jesus' own resurrection is a seed of promise planted in the soil of your heart. Now, what do seeds do? Seeds, when they are planted, right, they go through a period of growth, right? And when that growth is completed, they produce a fruit. The fruit of the seed, given time to take root, is your own resurrection to eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a seed of promise planted in the soil of your heart. The fruit of the seed of Jesus' resurrection is my own resurrection to eternal life. Your own resurrection to eternal life. But it is also It is also, see, we, we, talk about, we talk about eternal life, we talk about resurrection as if resurrection is only a future hope that we experience. And in a lot of ways that's true, I want to argue that, that fact or that truth at all, right? Um, but what, we, what we, all, we, we don't grab onto uh, super often right is that the the resu- our resurrection the the promise of Jesus resurrection in in our hearts and in our lives does not exist only as a future promise but also a present reality that the present reality of the resurrecting power of Jesus living and working in us allows us to shift our preoccupation with the calamity of our circumstances to the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, If you have have an envelope, we sent these envelopes out to, um, remember the last week or so we asked you to Send us your address if we didn't have it. Um, I know 
a good a good bunch of people had these, and so we should go ahead and open it. Um, we'll open them together this morning. In there, you should find a a card from Conduit that you can put on your fridge or put next to put in your mirror or wherever you want. And it's from it's Jesus' words in John chapter twelve, verse twenty-four. He says, "I tell you the truth: unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds." Um, you should also have a packet of seeds I'm not sure we, we bought all kinds of different ones so I'm not sure what um, what packet you got looks like I got a packet of zinnias I know there's a lot of uh, sunflowers um, out there as well you know a, uh, a funny thing about or not a funny thing about seeds but any gardener will tell you anyone who has had any experience growing anything is that we don't plant and harvest in the same season like we could plant these seeds today which i intend to do as soon as i get home we can plant these seeds today but we won't harvest them the flowers tomorrow we won't see the we don't see the fruit of the seed tomorrow. We won't even see the fruit of the seed the next day. Or the next. Or maybe even the next. But what we can be assured of is that if the soil and environmental conditions are correct and the seed is good, that the fruit will come if we are patient. Jesus' resurrection is the seed of promise planted in the soil of our hearts that promises our own resurrection. promises our own deliverance from our sin promises our own refocus away from calamity these seeds can be planted for you as a reminder that what jesus has promised in your life will come to pass. That what Jesus has promised in your life, the promise of overcoming, take heart. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. What Jesus has promised, because I live, you also will live. John chapter 11. What Jesus has promised will come to pass in your life. Uh, here's what 
I would encourage you to do. Take the seeds. Um, get a little cup or a jar or a pot. Plant the seeds. All right? Uh, take a picture, maybe, while you're planting it. And then take a picture when you see the first little shoot come up out of the soil. And then maybe take a picture halfway through the growth of the plant. And then maybe take a picture when you begin to see the fruit coming. As a reminder that the promises of God, when planted in the fertile soil of your heart, do grow and mature and produce fruit as we are patient and we wait expectantly for what God will do. That's kind of what the whole three days in the tomb was all about, right? There was the calamity. You know, a, a plant had to die in order for these seeds to be produced. If you have a sunflower seed, right? You know that a sunflower had to die in order for that seed to be in your packet. And that's what Jesus says here in our, in our little card from John chapter 12, like, right? That, that death happened. Death must have happened. But that death produced seeds that will produce fruit, that will lead to new life. The death of Jesus. The death of our sin. The offer of forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ. A reconciliation to God. The period of waiting, that Saturday waiting period. That Sunday, new life may come. All of life is like this. We experience all of life in this intense period of waiting until we come to the point so many times, so many places where we get to experience the fruit of what God has promised us. Conduit, I know it's been a difficult season. I know it will likely continue to be a difficult season for many of us. Let me tell you as strongly this morning as I have ever told you before that the seeds of the promise of Jesus are in the ground. <laughs> that growth, new life, and fruit is just about to break up from the soil. Jesus, placed in a grave, thought dead, the story seemingly over, through the power of God in the Holy Spirit, was resurrected to new life, in victory over death and the grave. 
that same resurrection is offered to you by faith in Jesus Christ. That as you receive Jesus, as you believe by faith in the sanctifying and justifying work of Jesus on the cross, that the same resurrection that lived in Jesus can live in you also. And that death and calamity and the grave can no longer hold you. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, this is a Easter that maybe we have never experienced before. Maybe it's an Easter that we will never experience again. But whether we experience it now or whether we will experience it again, Lord, we live in the confidence that your promises have not changed. We live in the confidence, Lord, that the, prom- that the promise of resurrection to new life can be ours. That the resurrection, that the promise of um, resurrection into new eternal life is certainly ours. But Lord, that you also promise the resurrection of our circumstances. That you will bring purpose to the midst, into the midst of calamity. That you will not allow us to live and sit in desperation, in loneliness, and fear. But that you, Lord, will call us by name, as you called Mary by name. And as you call us by name, we will hear and we will respond. Lord, would you call us each by name this morning? Would you, Heavenly Father, call our name now that we would be snapped out of the pain of the moment and be brought into be brought into the joy of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.